overcome and, and be a soldier, endure hardness. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. This semester, at least to start with, we are looking at matters of eternity and security. This is something I probably preached about 20 years ago, and oh, for several months before uh, the semester started, just kept coming up in my heart, and, and I wanted to revisit it, and I'm so thrilled that we get the opportunity to do so, and plus with, we have better uh, recording equipment, and plus to get this message out, not only to the family churches, but now, we, you know, people over the world are watching, and so uh, these things are important. And so what do we mean by uh, matters of eternity and security? Well, things that affect our eternal destination as a Christian, whether we're really saved or not, uh, how, how can we know that we will absolutely make heaven? Can we lose our salvation? Uh, how secure is our salvation? Uh, backsliding, what's that all about? Do, do backsliders make it to heaven? And so, uh, I don't know about you, but those are important topics. And that's not something, when it comes to going to heaven and standing before Jesus, I don't want to be guessing. I don't want to be in presumption. You know, I, I want to know that I know. And so the only way we can do that is by looking at God's holy word and studying it. And so we're looking at topics such as predestination, eternal security, backsliding, the unpardonable sin, blaspheming the Holy Ghost, the sin unto death, and many other wonderful topics. Amen. And uh, you ought to be thrilled. You know, you probably won't see much of this teaching elsewhere. But yet, it's in the Bible. And so, all of the things that I've mentioned are in the Bible. However, because they're not taught soundly or studied, uh, many times... Uh, a believer can misunderstood what these scriptures mean and uh, misinterpret them, and that's what leads to bondage. And we have to understand that Satan himself will use scriptures to try to get us off course. Satan used scriptures against Jesus, trying to get Jesus to get off course. And if he tried to use scriptures with Jesus, how much more us? And uh, that's why in our golden text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this in verse 15, study to show yourself approved unto God. You know, reading the Bible is good, and you ought to read the Bible. I read my Bible, but more than reading, we need to study and we need to meditate in the Word of God. Now, why should we study? Well, here it says that workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly divide in the Word of truth. And so it's only by study that we can rightly divide or rightly understand or interpret the Word. And... Uh, we can look at the reverse side. If we don't study, we can wrongly divide the word, wrongly interpret the word. And that, you know, a lot of that has been done with these topics. Um, Dr. Roy Hicks was a, uh, one of the, the heads up in the four square denominations. I think he was an overseer at the time, a contemporary of Kenneth Hagin. And I've heard him speak at Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting. And uh, I think he's wrote a couple of books. But he said something, and he, he was a scholar. And he said, you can make the Bible say anything that you want it to. And that's true. I mean, you could take scriptures out of context. Uh, you can just read something and not study it and come up with some type of interpretation. And so that's why we need to study to rightly divide the Word of God. The Word of God says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Or a better, a better way of saying that, a lack of understanding. And, you know, I've made mention, as a young believer, I want, as a young Catholic convert filled with the Holy Ghost, I went to an assembly of God, which is a full gospel church, and they were having an all-night prayer meeting. I mean, they, they were bellering, they were praying, they were going after it. And, you know, we never did that in the Catholic church. You know, we only stood, sat, and kneeled. And, you know, when, when people prayed, you just hung your head. Then when the, the Mass is over, we said, thanks be unto God, it's over. You know, that type of thing. But I, I saw this, and, you know, I thought they were mad. I had scriptural experience based on 1 Corinthians 14. 
You know, 1 Corinthians 14 says, if an unlearned or unbeliever comes in and all are speaking tongues, they said, they'll say you're mad. So I, I, was, I was a believer, but I was unlearned. And I thought, man, this is crazy. This is weird. Then when I said that or thought that, Satan came immediately and said, you have blasphemed the Holy Ghost. I mean, that haunted me for a great while. And again, Satan took scriptures, twisted them to bring me into bondage. And that's why it's so important that we, we look at these things, because they're in the Bible. And I've never been one to, to, you know, dodge subjects. You know, something comes up that people just kind of sweep it under the rug and, uh, you know, not talk about it. And I, I, do not, I don't do that with scriptures. You know, when, when Dr. Dufresne died, you know what I did? That Sunday, I taught on it. You know, when, when we had a miracle crusade and COVID broke out, you know, a lot of pastors would just kind of sweep it under the rug, be tending to heaven. No, well, I'm going to teach on it. What happened? We need to know what happened here. And it's the same thing with these, these topics. You know, we, we ought not to uh, just avoid them just because we don't, you know, they don't look very pleasant, but the whole Bible's true, and they're, they're written for our learning. And so the, these are things that shouldn't be just left to, to not understanding, but we, we should dive right in and understand these things. And so we looked at predestination. Now, again, uh, in our circles, uh, you know, we're taught well, but you have to understand that there are many denominations that believe in predestination, which simply means that if God wills something to happen, it will happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. And we looked at, you know, some of that thought came through Calvinism, you know, that God's will will always be done, and you have no choice in matters. But we, we looked at that, and we saw that, yes, God wills for things. He predestines us. He chooses us, but we, we have to choose him. And, uh, you know, whosoever will. And then we looked at some... Calvinistic beliefs that have crept in that are very prevalent, like God is in control. So please, if you have a plaque at home that says God is in control, go ahead and take it out and do what the church of Ephesus did. When, when they had revival, they, they that brought uh, magical arts, they were big in witchcraft, and they burnt it, burnt that plaque. Now, don't get me wrong, God is in control when you have faith. And you cast your cares upon him and you believe him and you release faith, then God is in control of your situation. But just to say God is in control without any faith on our end it, it, it is open up to Satan. Satan can get in and do a lot of things, and many people just attribute what Satan does unto God. And so we looked at those things. Then we, we jumped into the, the old time um, controversy in the church eternal security once saved always saved and so we looked at that we saw why denominations believe that uh, there are scriptures that would seem to indicate uh, that once a, a, a Christian is saved they are always saved but again we must study to show ourselves approved now with eternal security we sa said this that we are if you're born again, if you're genuinely born again and do not intentionally separate yourself from the, the grace of God, you are eternally secure. Um, and really to remove yourself from the grace of God is harder than one would think. Uh, some of our Pentecostal holiness friends would think that, man, if you just miss it once, I mean, you've got to get born again and again and again because any little offense will separate you from the, the grace of God. And that's simply not true. If there were, if there were two, two ditches, so to speak, you know, once saved, always saved, and then, you know, every little sin would, would get you out of the camp. We try to get in the middle of the road, but really, uh, the grace of God is, is closer to once saved, always saved than to that ditch because God's grace is great. Do I believe in eternal security? Yes, to a genuinely born-again Christian who loves the Lord uh, and, and they, they sincerely want to please God, they are eternally secure. Uh, someone who loves the Lord and got born again should never be troubled about losing their salvation. But then again, we brought the other side. 
what about the folks that came and prayed a prayer at the altar? Now, I know I can get uh, stones thrown at me, but praying a prayer at the altar doesn't save you. Brother Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen, when he was 16, 17 years old, went to hell three times as a Baptist. Now, I say that, and it's not to undermine the Baptist, but you have to understand the Baptists have a strong ministry on salvation. They not, may not believe in being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, healing, and all the other great things of the gospel, but bless God, they're strong on salvation. And thank God for the Baptists, you know, millions of millions of people have, have been ushered in the kingdom of God through, through the Baptist church because they, they believe strong. I mean, every, every message that you go to church, they, they preach a salvation message. They, they want to get people saved. And that's why I, I bring it up as a Baptist, not to, to undermine the Baptists, but they're strong on salvation. I mean, every service. And he went down the front. Uh, you know, the, an invitation, do you want to go to heaven? Well, I want to go to heaven. He came down to the front. And it, most people said, well, you saved, you, you prayed a prayer. But yet he, he, he died and went to hell three times. And thank God his mom prayed him out, and then, then he got born again. You see, praying a prayer doesn't save you. It, it's a heart thing. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Not just confessing with your mouth. You've got to believe in your heart. And um, this... This ought to, to be taught because a lot of people think they're going to go to heaven because they prayed a prayer. Praying a prayer don't save you. When you have salvation, you are born again. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're changed. There's something different about you. And that, that, that seed is on the inside of you. It will begin to grow and manifest. Things will be different about you, but if there is no change, was they, were they even born again? That's why some people go to the altar and they go right into sin, have no problem with it. They weren't born again. And another thing we brought out and, and, uh, is in some churches, there's just wrong teaching. They may have got saved, may have got born again, but they go to churches that teaches, uh, you know, we can't help but sin. You know, Paul said, what a wretched man I am. What I want to do, I can't do. You know, that type of thing. And they take what Paul said about his lost life and apply it to all Christianity. And of course, if that's what you're taught, you can't help but sin. Uh, you, your flesh and your carnal mind will dominate you. But uh, if you're born again, there's something in your heart that will crave to want to know God. And so we, we looked at those things. Then... Um, we looked at, last week, blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Then we, we start bringing out the big stuff. In Matthew 12, 31 through 32, Jesus said this, that, you know, you can sin, you can sin against me, you can sin against the Father, but whoever speaks against the Holy Ghost uh, and blasphemes the Holy Ghost won't be forgiven. And uh, so we, 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 we had to study that and rightly divide it. And it brings me down to the foundation scripture, brought us down to the foundation scripture that we all need to know, 1 Corinthians 10, 32. If you don't know this scripture, you need to know it. You need to highlight it, you need to mark it, because if you don't know the scripture, you can't understand any of the Bible. And you, you'll try to read things and be confused. And what is it? Give no offense to the Jews, Gentiles, nor the church of God. You know, we classify people by nationality, by skin color, even by gender. There's two still. I know there's, there's some folks that need help with that. But God, God, God only deals with three. He classes the nine billion people. Is it nine billion now? It used to be six, used to be seven, or eight, you know, billions of people. You know. you know, I'm off one or two billion there. But of the billions of people, God only classes them in three categories. Not, you know, not male and female, because there's no male and female in Christ Jesus. Not whether you're, you're African, not whether you're Asian, you know, that type of thing. You're either a Jew, a Gentile, or a Christian. And that is important to know, because God deals with Jews according to the Abrahamic covenant. 
you know, and some things in the Old Testament, but primarily Abraham covenant, because Jesus filled the Old Testament. Um, the Gentile, the Bible says this, they're without hope, without a covenant, without God in the world. And so they have no covenant with God, but God does deal with them as their creator. But we as Christians are under the New Testament. And uh, there are specific instructions to us. And what we, how we err is what we take sometimes, even what Jesus said uh, and taught and tried to apply it to Christians. And now that sounds like blasphemy. But it, it's simply true. People have taken what Jesus said about end times, about the Jews, and tried to apply it to Christians. You just can't do that. Again, a case example is divorce. Jesus said if you commit divorce, you commit adultery. But in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, that divorce is permissible in certain cases because God has called us to peace. Uh, another uh, topic is forgiveness. Jesus said if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. That is written to Jews under the Old Covenant, under the Abrahamic Covenant. But that is not for us. We forgive because Christ hath forgiven us. And the same thing, when Jesus said that these uh, people were in danger of blaspheming the Holy Ghost, it was not written to Christians. You, you, it was written to Pharisees. Pharisees, Jesus cast out a spirit, Jesus healed, and the Pharisees were saying, that is of the devil. And because they called him devil, Jesus said, you're in danger of never ever being forgiven and we looked at that because jesus came to heal the sick to raise dead cleanse leper in the old testament it it was written very clearly this is how you'll know the messiah when john questioned whether jesus was the one or not jesus said to john's disciples go again and tell john that the blind eyes see the deaf ears hear the dead are raised the leper are cleansed the good news is preached to remind them what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. And see, if the, the Jews said that is of the devil, uh, the very signs that God was doing, how many know they could never be born again? They could never be saved. And so the, the, the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost is not in epistles. And so the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost does not apply to us. A Christian cannot blaspheme the Holy Ghost according to this sin. But we looked at this. Is there an unpardonable sin for a Christian? Absolutely. I gave you not one witness. I gave you three, four. I gave you five witnesses. I called up. I remember I called up John. I called up Paul. I called up, I, I called up Peter and even Jude. You know, they, they all, all said the same thing, that a Christian can commit a sin and lose their salvation. Now, again, unpardonable sin, simply I, I would class it as a sin that will cause them to go to hell. And we saw what that pertained. And so if you weren't here last week, I taught you as a Christian how to go to hell. So if you, and out there, if you want to go to hell, I pointed to someone, you might want to go back there, Reverend. So, let's carry on. And so, let's go on to our next topic, which is this. And something I've been looking forward to is tonight I want to look at the fate of backsliders. The fate of backsliders. When it comes to backsliders, there, there's a lot, a lot of schools of thought on it. And... Um, whether a person goes to heaven or not, if they're backslidden, if they die in a backslidden condition. And of course, the reason we, we taught about eternal security uh, is because denominations that believe once saved, always saved, of course, they're going to, they'll, they'll be strong to say, backsliders, all backsliders go into heaven. And, of course, Pentecostal holiness will say, no, they're going to fry in hell. And so, again, two different schools of thought. But what does the Bible say about backsliders? Now we're getting into the heavy stuff. 
Now, when it comes to the subject and, and, and other subjects along this line, it's very important to know this, that there is no external set of rules that can be applied to the human heart. That, that is, you just can't say a blank statement that applies to everybody because everybody's heart is different. And so, again, the, these are heart things, and that's the, the, the greatest thing that we, we must understand with these eternal things. It has to do with the heart. Remember, praying a prayer doesn't save you unless it gets into your heart. And so, when a backslider dies, you know, you just can't look outwardly and make a judgment call upon this. All right? You just can't do that. Something that served me well, you know, I went to Raymond when I was 19 years old. Of course, an ex-Catholic boy, you just didn't know anything, but I was hungry for the word. And, you know, and Brother Hagen, Kenneth e. Hagen, uh, taught uh, some of the classes, and I feel sorry for any of the, the students today that didn't get to sit in like we did under Brother Hagen. And sometimes, once in a while, you know, he had a busy schedule, but sometimes after the service, he would come down, and we can ask him questions. <sighs> Cookie jar. Now, of course, me as a 19-year-old Catholic, I don't know nothing. I, I probably say something stupid. And so, but I definitely listened. I didn't ask any questions. And over and over, uh, the questions people would feel would be about certain people that died in a certain condition, about Uncle Joe, he did this. It, it, will Uncle Joe go to heaven? And something that Brother Hagen, just about every answer he gave was this, but you don't know what's in their heart. God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the external things. He looks at the heart. And that, that has served me well. And I've always, always made that my governor, uh, just not to be so quick to make a judgment call. So let's look at some things. Let's lay a little bit of foundation on this. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. Hebrews 12 through 13. It says this, For the word of God is living, and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the cerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that manifest in the sight, but all things are naked and open to him, the eyes of whom we have to do. Here it talks about the word of God, and we know it's the written word, but also Jesus is the living word, because it talks about the eyes of of him whom we have to do. And it's talking about Jesus. Now notice what it said of Jesus. Jesus is the, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word discern here is very interesting. The word discern means to see clearly in order to rightly judge. And so right here it's talking about Jesus that only Jesus can see clearly into our hearts. It's very interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said this, that um, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, of man's judgment. judgment. I, I don't even know anything against myself, but he, that doesn't justify me. He that judges me is the Lord. What Paul was saying, I don't even know my own heart. Only the Lord knows what's in our hearts. And so that's very interesting. Even we ourselves don't truly know what's in our heart. And here it says that Jesus is the discerner. He can look in our hearts and knows the thoughts, the intentions, or the motives of the heart. And only Jesus can see clearly into a human heart. And only Jesus can rightly judge the human heart. Now what it, our human tendency is, is to pass judgment on a person's eternal destination based on outward appearances or outwardly things. But we must understand, it's so important, that God doesn't judge as strong as the outward things, but the inward things. Jesus told Brother Hagin, I will judge my people quicker on spiritual sins or heart sins 
than in physical sense. All right. Now, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. Now, I'm going to read just because we've got ground to cover. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. In context, Samuel was called by God to find replacement for Saul. Saul had, I meant Samuel, Saul had backslidden, and, and the prophet Samuel had to pick a replacement. And God told Samuel to go to Jesse's house, and one of his boys will be anointed king. And of course, Eliab, the firstborn. I mean, he had height, he, he had stature. I mean, he, he, he was already in Saul's army. He had experience. And the prophet of God looked at the external, looked at his height, his charisma, and, and said, man, that is the Lord's name. That's what a king looks like. My vote is for him. Yeah. And But what God said, he said this, that man looks on the outward appearance. But I'm not like that. I look at the heart. You know, Eliab may have the approval of men, but he did not have the approval of God. Why? Because Eliab was just outwardly, you know, exhibiting these wonderful traits. But inwardly, he lacked something. And so God was correcting the prophet of God. And God says, I, I don't judge by the outward appearance. And uh, that's consoling. That is very consoling. Because sometimes, you, you know, you, you look at David was, was God's choice. You know, David was the youngest, probably the scrawniest, didn't look like much of a king, and they, he, he didn't even serve in Saul's army. They put him out with the sheep. And, and he, he was a mama's boy. He was not a man's man. He was a mama's boy. You know, go, go take care of the sheep and sing the sheep. Sing lullabies to the sheep. So outwardly, he, he wasn't much of what, what a king would, they would look for in a king. But God saw something in his heart that qualified him for that position. And so the greatest thing with God is the heart. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we ought to dive into these heart things, and especially the areas of conscience, and, and what it is to have a good heart before the Lord. And so, but nevertheless, looking at this, God tells us he doesn't look on the outside. And, you know, when we see backsliders, you know what we're looking at? The outside. We're looking at what they're doing, how they're acting. But only God can see what is in their heart. The Bible is very strong and uses strong language that we can never act as a judge in another believer's life. Romans 14, 10 through 13. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it's written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, every tongue shall confess to God. So that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block and occasion to fall in his brother's way. So from these scriptures we see a few points here. Number one, we're all going to stand before Jesus. That thoughts and intensive heart. He's, he, he's going to look into all of our hearts. Number two, it tells us that we're not qualified to pass judgment on another person. Why is that? We can't see what's in their heart. And number three, we should be focusing on making sure our own backyard is clean. Remember Jesus said, 
Judge not, lest you be judged. The same measure you meet shall be measured unto you. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me help you with that beam? I have a teaching along that line. Whenever you see something in another that you want to fix, there's something worse in you that needs fixing. Jesus said that. So drop the mic and just, woe is me, you know, use that gift on yourself of wanting to criticize folk. Because it has to do with the heart. We, we're not qualified. Only the Lord can see. The Apostle Paul says, I don't even know what's fully in my heart. Now, let's, let's, let's look at something here. 1 John 3, 9. And we're, again, we're talking about backsliders. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him. For he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, we looked at that. And of course, all of us that have been born again, we've sinned after we've been born again. So what does this mean? This is talking about in your heart. We have made a sin in our flesh, we may give into our flesh, we may give into temptation. But if you're born again, you cannot sin from your heart. You know this. If you're born again, you, you said something wrong, you did something wrong. What does your heart say? I don't agree with that. I hate that. I don't want that. Your heart condemns you when you do wrong. That's proof that you're born again. Because you have the divine seed. And we looked at this, that folks that just pray to prayer in the altar, and they can leave and go right to the bar and go corrals, do anything, and they're fine with it. They've never been born again. Because that seed is in them. It isn't in them because if they were born again, their heart would smite them. Now, if someone's born again, they have the divine seed. Now, unless they commit what we call the unpardonable sin, they sinned away from grace. Um, that, that nature, that seed is not revoked out of a backslider. Romans eleven twenty nine says this. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. King James. What does that mean? When God gives a gift, when God calls you, he never takes it back. That means if you're called in the ministry, you're forever called in the ministry. You may not obey it, but you still have to account for it. God, God will not revoke any call or any gift. Once he gives it, you know, and I never understood this phrase. You know, about being an Indian giver. You, you heard that phrase? Yeah. And what is it? You give and take it back. But really, the Indians weren't the ones that did it. The American government did that to the Indians. Right. Yeah, so I don't know why they call it Indian giving. They said government givers. It should have been. <laughs> and so, you have to understand, when someone is truly born again, that seed is in them. They are a child of God by birth. And if they die in a backslidden condition, you know, maybe they didn't have their life, so in order, that, that, that gift is not revoked from them. Now, again, it, it, if we got a needle, it tends to point closer to eternal security. Well, it's true because God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Now, it is sad, but true, that some get born again, have that divine seed planted in them, and never allow that seed to grow. They're like the one talented man in the parable that buried his talent in a napkin. They, they, they never, ever grew, but they were born again. That, they're buried in a napkin of carnality and human reasonings. And their lives are nowhere near God's highest and best for them. But they are born of God. You know, you have to understand the greatness of God's grace. Romans 12.1 
uh, 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holding acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible talks the good, the acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know what the good will of God is? That's, that's the lowest level. You know what the good will of God is? You get born again. Thank God you get born again. And, uh, and there, there are multitudes. That's all they do. They get born again. But they never apply verse 1 and 2 about they never present their bodies as living sacrifice. Never consecrate and dedicate themselves. And they never renew their minds. And because they never renew, renew their minds, they'll never know the acceptable and perfect will of God. But that doesn't mean they're not Christians. The book of 1 Corinthians sheds more light about the grace of God and how God sees His children. 1 Corinthians, we have to understand the Apostle Paul founded the church of Corinth under the divine directive from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord sent them there. In Acts 18, 9 through 11, the Lord spake to me by night in the visions, Be not afraid, speak, hold not your peace, for I am with thee, no man should put, set thee to hurt thee. I have much people in the city, continued a year and six months teaching the word of God amongst them. So God sent them there, and, and by a vision, the Holy Ghost says, no, I have much people in the city of Corinth. So you, you know this, this, is a, this is going to be a great church, a model church. History tells us that the Corinth was a large commercial city known for its port for travelers and traders. Like any port, it was known for its sin and immorality. Corinth was the site of the temple Aphrodite, where prostitution was used and worshipped in this goddess of love. This gives us an idea of the converts of Paul, a very loose and moral city amongst, you know, you know, you know you've heard the phrase sin city. Well, this was Sin City back in the Bible days. And not only that, the prostitute worship, ungodly things was part of their worship. And these were the converts of Paul. In his introduction, Paul gives us insight how God viewed his children. The, these temple worshipers, the, these immoral uh, folks that got born again. 1 Corinthians 1 1 through 9. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sinathenes, our brothers, unto the church of God which is at Corinth. Notice this to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus and set apart, made clean. Called to be saints. The, the, the term called to be is italicized, meaning it's not in original Greek. It actually says called saints. And every place that named the name of Jesus, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Notice the testimony. That in everything you are enriched in him in all utterance, knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was conformed in you, confirmed in you, that you become behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful, God is faithful, by whom you are called in the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how Paul, by the Holy Ghost, again, Paul is not writing of his own accord. He is writing inspired of the Lord. These are the words of God. The believers in the church were called sanctified, set apart, set as holy, enriched, abounding with gifts, being confirmed blameless when Jesus came. With this description, you think that this, these converts 
of this immoral city, temple worshipers and all ungodliness that got born again, that, I mean, they, they repented, they found Romans chapter 12, 1, 2, they, they present their bodies of living sacrifice, they renewed their, their minds. I mean, this, this is an ideal church, an ideal believers. From, from what Paul said, but this is how God viewed them in Christ. What was in their hearts. This is not a description of their works or their conduct after they were saved. Now, this is very interesting. They're sanctified, set apart, blameless till the coming of Jesus. In chapter 3, we see what is on the outside. Chapter 1 tells us what's going on on the inside. How God sees. God looks at the heart. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual. Well, chapter 1 would consider them to be spiritual. That as in the carnal, even the babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not meat. For hitherto you are not able to bear it. Neither are you able for when you are carnal, there's, for you are yet carnal, for there is among you envy and strife and division. Are you not carnal and walk as mere men? You know what that means? The way you act, you act like you're unsaved. Yeah. Now this is very interesting. Is God bipolar? No. Well, God is, a, is Paul bipolar. No. Why in chapter 1 it says you are sanctified, you are set apart, you come behind no gift, you, you are being preserved blameless to the coming of Jesus. Then here it says you're a bunch of babies, you're a bunch of carnal buckets, you act like you're not even saved. Chapter 1, the heart. Chapter 3, the outward appearance. Their carnal actions did not change the fact that they were God's children. I know this is hard pill to swallow. And see, the same thing is with backsliders. And actually, the Corinthians in our church would be backsliders. We would, you know, and especially in my Pentecostal holiness upbringing, we, we, we wouldn't even consider them saved. But God said they were. God said they were wholly separated into His purpose and use. What they did outwardly didn't affect what they were inwardly, according to the Bible. Most backsliders are in the same condition. If they've been truly born again, that divine seed is in them. Their hearts are alive to God. They may be bound with sin under the, the, the pressures of Satan, but they are God's child. And the thing is, it's all about the heart. 1 John 3.20 It says this, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater in our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us, we have confidence towards God. See, when you're born again, your heart will condemn you. Backsliders, their heart condemns them. I mean, they may tell you, you know, I don't need church. I'm enjoying my sinful lifestyle. They, they may say it outwardly. But when they have the divine seed, their heart is aching. When they hit that pill at night, their heart is saying, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, because I remember e even when I was a heathen and folks would witness to me, my heart was, was saying, you're a saint, you need this. Man, I wouldn't let them know that for a second. And I made their lives miserable. I, I, I kicked against the pricks just like Saul did, but on the inside, ooh, I know the right. I know the right. I know the right. 
And that's why when you witness and, and folks just kind of throw it back in your face, you're going by the externals. You don't know what's going on in their heart. Yeah. A backslider can never enjoy his life. No backslider has peace and joy. They can't. Absolutely can't. They may try to fool you outwardly. They may try to drown it with alcohol and drugs and wrong living and, and, and try to drown it. But inside, that divine seed is in them. And that the very fact that their heart condemns them is they're still a child of God. See, great is the mercy of God. See, we tend to judge others on our level of grace and mercy. But God's grace and mercy is far beyond ours. Again, when it comes to the needle pointing, it points closer to eternal security than the other side where, man, you miss it once, you backslid, you're going to hell in Jesus' name. And thank God for it. And we shouldn't despise it or be ashamed of it. And you know what will help you on understanding people and God's grace is once you have your own children. You know, um, Dr. Dufresne told me, I don't know if it was in private, but he did tell me, he didn't say, I couldn't say it or repeat it. <laughs> and he's in heaven now. And so, but he said this, um, folks that are in ministry that aren't married, they lack something. And I've seen that. Single ministry, outside of Jesus, they, they lack something. Because how many know being married will grow you? And I always find it interesting when single people give marriage counseling. <laughs> they, they have no idea. That's like me trying to teach an airplane pilot how to fly an airplane. Oh, yeah, you just go up and, and you, 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 you know, that's called a fool. You're not even qualified. Then, um, then he said this, and also ministers that never have children lack something. Now, I, I've seen that. Because when, when you have children, you begin to see a greater revelation of God's love. When, when you have a child, and, and you hold your child, you begin to realize you'll do anything for your child. You would die, you'd even go to hell for your child. I mean, you, you would suffer on behalf of your child. That, that, that's, and it, it's a great thing when, when you behold your child. You get just a sliver of a glimpse of God's great and wonderful and intense love that he has for you. The Bible says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to children, how much more? See, when you have a child, your child may cut you off, but you never cut your child off. Yeah. They can say things, do things. They may say, I don't want to talk to you, I have nothing to do with you. But a parental love will always be towards the child. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Pastor, that sounds too much like eternal security. Well, it's biblical. Now, there's a balance to this. Pastor, you're again pointing over once saved, always saved. But number one, a person can lose their salvation. We taught you how to do that. But there is a balance. Genesis 6.3 says this. And the Lord said, my spirit will not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. You know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, you have to understand that anything in the Bible, God says anything written in the Old Testament is written for a New Testament admonition. You know, God did not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He changes not. And here God says, 
my spirit will not always strive with man. What's that mean? That there, there's a limit to the, the graciousness of God. We, we see that a backslider has a seed of God in him. That carnal Christians, backsliders, are in this carnal, you know, unsanctified mess. And yet God sees them as his children. But over here, God says, I won't always strive with man. And so it indicates that there, there are limits to this, this grace. There, there are limits to the goodness of God. Now, what is very interesting about the Lord, and as a father to his child, not God to his creation, a father to his child, if one of God's children start getting to the point where God will no longer strive with him, no longer reach out to him because they shut off God, shut off God, God has blessed them, shut off God. There comes a point where God, if we deny him, he will deny us. There is a point. In the Old Testament, we see this, that God warned Eli about the breach of promise. God said, you know, I, I want you and your house to hold my priesthood. But because of continual sin and violation, he said, far be it from me. They that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Over and over again, God warned Israel of their backsliding. But eventually, if they didn't heed his warnings, what happened? Judgment came. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. See, God is a God of great goodness, but He's also a God of judgment. In the book of Revelation, Jesus warned the churches of area they need to change. He, he would say, repent, or I'm going to take my candlestick out. I gave her space to repent, and to repent not, and therefore I, and it had some very strong language of those that didn't repent. You know, um, I have Verizon cell phone. You know, before we had unlimited data, you get these little notices, your data is 75% full, 80%, 95%. Then it says your data is full. That means you, you, you have no more. Can a backslider exhaust the grace of God? Yes. My spirit will not always strive for man, with man. Let's take a case example. Have you ever heard about a man named Reverend Randy Greer? Reverend Randy Greer was born again in the church of God, raised by Christian parents. And he tells in his own story, he can tell his story better than I could tell his story. Although, Mr. Eddie, Edwin, can do a pretty good Randy Greer impersonation. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah! All right. Let go! You know, and, uh, but anyway. And you know this, he went in the wrong doing, got in the wrong crowd, armed robbery, prison three times. And escaped from prison three times. Was into drugs, was into every bad thing for years and years and years and years, even though he was born again. And you heard his story. He was, Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus. I was on the road to Galveston, Texas. And the Holy Ghost said, and gave him warning. He says, you turn yourself in. This is your last chance. Last chance. What is it? My spirit will not always strive. Randy Greer was born again, but his data package was full. 
God was full. Can God be full? Yes, you read it in the Old Testament. God has. I, I've had times when God has told me not to pray for someone anymore. That's, that's, that's a sad, scary place to be. Yeah. And so my spirit will not always strive. And so let's take Reverend Randy Greer. We thank God he turned himself in. And look what God did for him. Gave him a full pardon. Stop preaching the gospel. But God gave him fair warning. When a backslider sins to that point, God is always faithful. He was faithful in the Old Testament. Too. He will warn them and give them an ultimatum. Now, if Randy Greer on the road to Galveston, Texas, didn't get that ultimatum, and was shot and killed by a policeman, would he have gone to heaven? Yes. Because that's how great the grace of God is. But because God gave him an ultimatum, and if he was shot and killed and, and, and didn't accept that ultimatum, he would have went to hell. Oh, absolutely, he would have went to hell. And he would tell you he would have went to hell. Yeah. See, the greatness of God's grace. But if someone is getting to the place where that's it, God is faithful to warn them. God would be unjust. I made mention of a pastor that um, backslid and opened up the barn in the same town that he pastored for years and years. And, you know, uh, let a house of ill repute, <laughs> you know, just here. Imagine the testimony in that town. Pentecostal pastor, now a barkeeper, owns a bar and doing wrong, immoral things. And after several years, he comes in, sits in the church service. There's tongues interpretation. The interpretation says, this is your last chance. This is your last chance. And uh, he stands up and says, I want you to know that, that message was for me. And he said publicly, I want you all to know when it comes to Jesus Christ, to hell with him and walked out. See, God warned him. He was born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. He was saved, reached his limit. God warned him. But he turned his back on it, went to hell. And the book, I Believe in Visions, about that pastor's wife that went into wrongdoing and a singer. You know, I, I didn't share this, but um, ministers, God would tell ministers to go warn her. And she, she wouldn't heed the warnings. See, God is great. And so when it comes to backsliders, if they are truly born again and they die, thank God they go to heaven. They, 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 don't, they don't have much reward, and we're going to look at that uh, probably next time or the time after that. But thank God for the grace of God. You know, we ought to just Worship God for people, the people that made it in. Because I, I personally, I wouldn't wish hell on anybody. You know, in, in the, the grace of God in these areas. And so that's why we can't judge. God looks at the heart. We looked at Corinthians, how God see, sees them. But if someone is, you're fearful, then God will warn them. God will, an angel will come. A dream will come. People will come. God will warn them. God, God will do everything to try to get them in the fold. But if they finally, the last ultimatum, shut the door, then they'll go to hell. Well, again, another heavy revy. But how many know it's so important? Especially if you know people are backslidden. Backslidden like that. Now, next week. I do have next week, right? I, before I go. We need to look at something. Here we see that a backslider will get to heaven unless he's warned he's not going to do it. You know, he's not going to make it. But now we're going to have to see the life of backslider 
and what God will do for backsliders to make sure they get to heaven. Because the wages of sin is death. All sin must be judged. No backslider will have a great life. Backsliders will die early. Backsliders will experience things they should never experience because they're outside the protection of God. And so next week, you know, if you're listening, says, oh, good, I'll just continue backsliding and I'll make it in. No, you got to stay tuned next week. I'm going to tell you what kind of life is prepared for the backslider. All right? Where you help tonight. I know it's a little heavy, but we've got to look at these things. The church needs to understand these things. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord.